0: Alright, hello. What's going on? It's Rich Ryan here. This is the Reinforced Running Podcast. What is up today? I have a bit of a hot take. Hot-ish. Like, I've been thinking about this and it's not like so steaming hot that it's like I haven't had any time to think about it, but it's like kind of hot to the point where, I don't know, maybe it's like warm-ish. Maybe it's like finished product but hot out the oven like like, like a pie. It's like a pie take. You guys let me know. But anyway, so I've been thinking quite a bit about the pacing for High Rocks and watching the North American Championships this past weekend. I uh, think that I'm solidifying this this thought even further. And I haven't had a tremendous amount of time to practice this on my own. This is more uh, observed and uh, some anecdotal uh, based on some of my previous races. But I think the sled push doesn't matter as a station. I think it is the most intimidating and biggest like requirement of, of energy that you need when you first start coming into this event and that we put a lot of focus on trying to like hammer this thing. And I think there is a required amount of strength that, like that you need of course and you need to be able to run after pushing that sled but to a certain point that station itself is is overblown in terms of importance of the race it is just too early it's too early in the race to really make up time and and like really kind of blow things out of the water with that one station and it's 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 hard because when we look at times comparatively from we're just going to we're going to use the North American times versus the European times, the main piece of these courses that are different, they're the sleds. They are pushing the sleds of one minute faster, pretty much on average. And we were able to see this this past weekend where we had uh, 11 athletes from the European ch- or 12 athletes from the European championships. if We account Medita, which we will come to a race on North American soil. And I didn't average it out, but just kind of like looking at it, like looking at what they, how they compared to the previous race, to this race. It was about a minute slower for each athlete who raced in Europe and who raced in North America. And it was like three weeks apart, right? So like they're just faster, (laughs) they're just faster. And that's how, and that's the big reason why they're running faster times, right? I don't personally think that uh, a faster sled leads to a more enjoyable experience. (laughs) It's, it's, uh, uh, it's just different and it's less time, right? So less time pushing it. It's going to be one, a minute faster at the end of your time. So it takes you from a 65 to a 64, just like that. But if you, uh, and you're also pushing it less, so it's a minute less exertion that you're putting out. So you are saving time later. One thing that I saw that seemed to be a little bit, not really glaring, and this could be one-off and I don't have uh, that much evidence of this, but the athletes, again, who were comparatively, if you took like their, their PRs from Europe- And the PR and the race times from this North American championship, the burpee broad jumps was also a minute slower. The exertion that they had to put out on these sleds that are heavier or slower, or stickier or whatever it is. We don't, we honestly don't know. And I did have a chance to talk to some European athletes over the weekend. And they're just like, yeah, I mean, they're just like heavier. (laughs) Like it's undeniable. And it's not like an excuse. It's not like, oh, we're being babies over here. It's just like, no, come push them. They're heavier. It takes a minute longer at the same effort so really it should probably take a minute and a half s- slower if you're really going to nail this race and you, and that's what we saw with the european athletes they came out and tried to push it the same way that they could push it in europe which is very aggressive unbroken down back unbroken and maybe some breaks in the middle and then we saw them all go backwards everyone came off of that really in a bad place with the exception of like ryan can't look pretty good sandy looked pretty good but um It's on the men's side anyway, but, uh, and that was where the majority of the European athletes, like there was only like three or four on the women's side. And I will talk about that race a little bit as well. Um, and how, that what I kind of took from the sled push with, from that race, but these European athletes came and they tried to do the same strategy that they use on their courses. Cause why wouldn't you like, if you think, if you push a sled, every single race that you do in two minutes, you go unbroken down, unbroken back. Like they tried to do that. And then they came off of it and it took that much more energy for them to push that sled at that exertion. I don't know what, like, I, like say it's 33% more effort <laughs> as it's time. It, I don't think it works like that. It might, but that's what just we're going to use. So say they use 33% more energy to push that sled to still run, to still push it a minute slower. So not only were they working harder, but they were going slower and they were spending more time and really killing themselves. And then when it came to the sled pull, everybody was done. And this was the big move that Makita made and Dylan made. And I wouldn't even necessarily think it was like a move. They just paced themselves appropriately on the sleds, on the sled push, didn't kill themselves, knew that there was a lot more race to go. And by the time that they got to the pole, everyone else was dead. All of them. And I think where we've had, we've had these, uh, we've seen evidence in the past of someone like Lauren Weeks or Hunter McIntyre come out and just be assertive from the jump, hammer the sleds and be ahead. And that's the race. Right. So I know in my mind and in some other athletes, minds, like, man, I need to be up on that sled. I can't let that sled ruin this race, but it's so early that it can ruin the race by pushing it too hard. So really the pacing on the sled, I think matters much, much more than the actual time that you can make up on that slide. I'm thinking that there's some sort of uh of number that we can kind of put to it. Like every, like there's like probably some like maximum amount of sled push that we actually need in terms of time. Say it's like three fifteen. say that's not, and that's like pretty fast. Like for, I think that that a lot of, a lot of us that would be kind of close to that overreaching point, but we still can do it. So say every second you like go under, 315 on the sled, it adds like five seconds to your total time. Like, I think there's something like that. There's a, there's a, uh, like a rule of thumb or just like some old coach's anecdote for marathons. Every second you run faster in the first mile comes back in minutes at the end of the time. And I think that is like, that is what the sled is. I think that there is a breaking point where you're just doing too much. And that doesn't come back. You can really spend a lot on that sled. And maybe on something like the ski, where it's more upper body and core focused and like it's heart rate and like it's more your heart rate can get up. If you overextend on the ski, if you pull things back, you could probably get back into get back into the race. But if you overextend on the on the, the sled, it doesn't seem to work that way. <laughs> and if it does, uh, we actually did see Alex Rankovich really handled this pretty well and rally. He was like kind of back in like seventh and eighth. He was the European champion the year, the three weeks before where he was pretty assertive the entire time. He was like kind of in the front of like one, two and this time he was like in seventh or eighth and then, and then was able to rally and finish like fourth. Right. So that's a good, that's something that he did. He did well, where really he should have been like first, second, third, um, but he was able to kind of manage it, but still wasn't able to run his best time there. Because the sleds are just different, right? Like, and it's like, and if you are coming from Europe and you're trying to push these sleds the same way as you push them there, it's no fault of your own because we're told that they're standardized and they're not, they are just not standardized. They're just not right. And because of that on the U S races, it's even more important to really have a strategy to not kill yourself on those sleds, because there's so much time to go, and uh, I did doubles this past weekend. And that was another thing that we saw. Uh part of Bracken and I, we just really were cautious on the sled. We knew it was going to be lighter, but it's still kind of a trap. You can still blow up your legs. And the difference between keeping things conservative and keep, and being aggressive was probably 20 seconds, 25 seconds. But we were able to make that up on the runs. There's, there's six more runs to make up those 25 seconds. So it's like not it's not a ton of time on that on each run if you can stay consistent where if you hammer it you're not going to make up any time on that run it's going to come you're going to lose time on that run you're probably going to lose time at at burpee broad jumps is where it seems like because you can come into the sled uh, pull and you know the, the sled pull it, it, it can only be so fast right you're just like you're you're bound by the limitations of the the amount of space you can move within that and it's just kind of like hustling and being able to really kind of if you're super strong in upper body, you can maybe pull it a little bit faster, a little bit more, but really it's more about your energy that you have there and, and not necessarily about like full-on strength. So that, so I think like the sled push might not affect the sled pull, but I think it affects the burpee broad jumps. And I think if you hammer that too hard, if you get in over your head, that the, the burpee broad jumps will really pay. And that's a point in the race where if things are going poorly or things are going well, it dictates how you feel the rest of the race. Like it's really hard to come off a burpee broad, like have a terrible burpee broad jumps, like during each burpee and be like, Oh my God, it's terrible. Oh my God, this is terrible versus I'm feeling okay. I can rally. I can keep moving up. And we saw that with on, on both, on both races, really uh, Magida and Dylan were moving forward where Sandy and Kent were kind of moving backward. Cause they had, they had overextended on a little bit on those sleds and on the women's side. We saw, Lauren really pushed hard on those sleds, and um, and Michaela and and Meg pushed hard on the sleds as well. And then Michaela was kind of coming forward with that, where those t- where the two up front were kind of in this place where it's like, okay, this is really challenging, really difficult, and like the momentum in that middle of that race really matters. And that's something that I think is is going to be critical when it comes to like your like optimal performance is to be able to manage that energy within that second station. So that you're not overextending yourself and like ruining stations uh, three through eight. And the amount of time that you can push that sled won't make up for the, the energy that it's going to cost you. So I think that sled push doesn't matter at all in terms of the actual station time and emphasis of like us st- the station of the race. Now, with that, you need to be able to move that sled at will the sled shouldn't it shouldn't like if you're only able to move it like two or three steps like okay then you need to put a lot of emphasis on the sled or if you move it half the distance and you're like oh my god this is I'm I'm I don't think I can keep it moving then like yes that is a that's an issue and that's a strength issue in general and that's not necessarily going to and that's what your problem is going to be uh, when affecting the actual race result is the 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 floor of your strength and you need to work on that in general but you don't need to be so strong and that you can push that sled unbroken down back down back down back. That is almost a bad idea. <laughs> it's like if you get to the ski and say your 2k ski pace is 1 145s. You could probably hold that 145s for 1k in a in a high rocks when, but really you should probably hold like one fifty five, so that you have juice to come out. And that's probably something else that happens quite a bit too. If you're, if you're so geared up for a race that you, you hit those sleds hard, you're probably geared up in that first run, that first ski, that second run as well. And you're probably overextended from the jump where the pacing on those pieces is super important. It needs to go the run needs to feel comfortable. It's not that fast. The ski needs to feel comfortable, not that fast. And then the sled needs it. Like, it's like one of those things where it's not going to be comfortable, right? So the first, like the run, the first two runs can feel comfortable. The ski can feel like pretty comfortable. Like if you're, if you're actually trying to pace things out, it can be comfortable, but the sled's probably going to be uncomfortable either way. But there's a tipping point there where it goes from discomfort to like overextension. And then that's going to affect the rest of the race. And being in that place where it's comfortable, like hard, but comfortable and knowing how that feels and what that's going to do to the runs after is, is probably what we need to work on more than even just like our ability to push a a heavy sled as fast as possible, unbroken, down, back, down, back, down, back, right? Like that would be great if we could come in and do a sled in a minute and a half, like in, I don't know, Spain, I don't know, Frankfurt, I don't know. Glasgow, something like that, but probably not going to happen. Especially here, we're not going to be able to push it in a minute and a half. We can't match those the, those efforts because it's just not unrealistic. So a three and a half, a four minute sled, it's going to put you in a better position to run a PR, to run your best effort down the road, and if you're assertive on the the stations that follow, and if that heart rate gets too high, and like after that sled push then you're needing to recover on the run. And then you're a the sled pull and that's not a great place to recover. And then you're running again, you're going to try to recover there and it probably isn't going to come down. So managing that effort is just critical. And, I, and it's and it's becoming a little bit more clear to me anyway that in order to run your best race or to perform it at, the high, at your highest level, you're just going to need to manage that. Like you might be able to do it in 2.30, but doing it in 3.30 is going to ultimately at like save you time by the end. Right, like, in, and like I said, in the beginning, when we saw it, when we see Hunter, or when we see them, when we be assertive and dominate from the front, like, okay, to run your best, you have to push the sled hard, push us fast. And we see the European times, and they're <laughs> under two minutes. And that's just something that we're like, okay, maybe that's like what we need to do to run fast. But like, it's not going to work out for us here if that's something that we are trying to do. So <clears throat> something that so, that, so what does that mean like for, for training? Right, Like how does this affect the way that we approach things? And I think it is just con- like pushing the sled at different, at, at various effort levels, because there are that. And when I first started the sport, I thought every effort on the sled needed to be close to hundred just to move it, but that's not true. There's different strategies that you can use on the sled. If like you, you if you have a hard time breathing and you're using the, your hands on the poles, as opposed to like pushing it in, into like with your shoulders, like that type of strategy, those type of strategies, and figuring out what works for you is like going to help you breathe. It's going to help you manage things. It's going to help you understand how you feel a little bit more. So, working on different strategies within the actual sled push itself, different techniques is important. And then also, like learning how hard you need to go and how hard you can go, and what is one hundred percent, what's ninety percent, what's eighty percent. And what's even like? What's like seven? What's six, what, what all these like feel like? These rate of perceived exertion is probably a better way to, to say this. Like, what's a ten? What's a nine? What's an eight? And like, kind of staying at a seven. <laughs> like a seven might be what you need, and knowing that and it's and knowing that you're going to have time and space to continue to move forward, as opposed to doing a nine or ten and then just hoping that you're going to be able to maintain that effort. And if you are at the highest level, and you are Absolutely conditioned to be in this terribly uncomfortable place right away after a sled, and being able to kind of move through it. It's for the for the most part, ninety nine point nine percent of us athletes who are doing high rocks won't be able to do that. So knowing, so putting it at a six and seven, and knowing what that feels like for race day, and not getting extended because of the excitement of the race is ultimately going to lead to. Better results, better time. And I don't know if this is just a like, hey man, duh, like we know you're not to kill yourself on the sled push. But I think I think that looking at every single station across the board, we want to maximize like what we can do. We want to maximize where we can ski, how fast we can push, how fast we can pull. And then you pull up the results, and you're like, oh my God, my sled push was 59th out of the day. How does that even, how could that even be? I need to get better at the sled push. But really you don't, you just need to improve your, you just need to like, make sure that your seven, that 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 59 place in the rate in the overall race was at a seven and that those, and then that your burpee broad jumps were improved and that your, and that your row was, was higher than that. And that your lunges were higher than that. Your wall balls were higher, were, were a higher place than that. I think you should have a slower sled push and your overall result will be better. So I actually have some numbers here. Uh, I looked into it a little bit more thoroughly and I just want to kind of give a little bit of a rundown on here. Uh, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the place that people finished on the sled push and then their um, ultimately their, their finishing position. Again, this is one race. The sample size is small, but it's a championship race. Okay. So like, this is a, a good indicator of like how to race well in this thing, not like how to get like some fast time somewhere, um, <clears throat> which is what we ultimately want to do. We want to be able to race well. And that should be what matters. That should be what matters on this on this thing. So, fastest time on the sled push was um, Michael Sandbach. Sandbach, sorry, he was two twenty eight, very fast, and he finished uh, two places uh, outside of where he. So he finished in third. So minus two. That's how that's how we're going to do it. Then second was Kent with two forty one. He had the second fastest. He finished in seventh. That's negative five. In third, the third fastest was Jeffrey Voisin. He was, he, and he finished fifth overall. That's negative two. In fourth was Tim Vanish. He finished in sixth, negative two. In fifth place was Colin Stiefer. He was three or three. He finished eighth, negative three. And sixth was Florian Gast. He uh, finished ninth, negative three. Uh, I'm only gonna do a couple more of these. Patrick Grew, he was uh, seventh and he finished in 10th, negative three. In eighth, let me see if I can get get to a positive here somewhere. Nope. Um, Jordan Bryant, he was 307. He finished in 13th, negative uh, five in ninth. Where can we get a positive? All right, here we go. We got a positive. Alex Ronkovich, his was 314. He was the f- ninth fastest. He finished in fourth. That's a plus five. So let's just skip to all these. David Megita was 11th. He uh, At 318, he finished 10 spots higher than that in first. Dylan Scott was 12th fastest, 322. He finished 10 spots higher than that in second. And again, this is just a small sample size. And there's a bit of an outlier because Europeans don't know how to push these sleds. And they pushed them all and got murdered then. And Americans, like, we had the advantage for that, for this race, for sure. Much like they had the advantage when we go to Europe and and pushing those, like, faster sleds. But, um, so, small sample size but just a little bit of evidence to back me up. Um, and again, there's outliers, right? Like we see athletes like, uh, like a Meg Jacoby again, like Hunter, like Lauren who can do all the stations better than everybody and run fast. But those are like the anomalies, right? That's not what every, every athlete should aspire to do. We should all know how to do our best race the way that we know how, and then determining that and then doing it for the most part, you can't push the sled faster than everybody and run faster than everybody. It's going to catch up to you. It like it's just that's just how it's going to work. So I could pull this up real fast. Magida was three eighteen yesterday on the sled push. Dylan was three twenty two. Good sled push for him, by the way. And then Ronkovic was faster than Magida, and and Dylan finished in fourth. Jeffrey Voison was. Faster than both, he was three flat. He was faster than both. Finished in fifth. Tim Vinish was faster than both. He was three o two. Finished in uh in ninth. Kent was super fast. Two forty one. Finished in he. So he was probably two. finished in seventh. Michael Sandback was. I think he had the fastest. He was two twenty eight. Finished in third. He had the fastest one. Finished third. So Magida and Dylan were slower than their actual. That were their place was lower during sled push, and their finishing place was higher. All those other examples were higher on their sled push finish, and their actual finish was lower. Then these guys toward the toward the bottom, um, like, i have to work these out, but I think these guys were the bottom. They just overextended themselves and then died. So we see, we saw a lot of people come over and try to, and and get a minute slower on the sled push and probably have, again, that 33% more effort on it, which, which cost which cost them. So in terms of training, like I said, I think it is just a matter of like managing and figuring it out. So that could be a workout as simple as like, uh, it had to be like a lot of rest, right? So that you can kind of feel the enter. So it had to be like 800 meter run, 50-meter sled push at a 10 RPE, 800-meter run, three to four minutes rest. And then 800-meter run, 50-meter sled push at a nine or an eight. 800-meter run, three to four minutes rest. We want bigger rest there because we don't want the – we want to do our best to mitigate the effects of the previous um, uh, reps to have it like – have a direct feeling of that. So you can even split it even further if you want it. If you really wanted to go like do like a five to a seven minute uh, and just see like how it kind of feels just so you can get some recovery in. Because like if you do 10 and then you rest like a minute, then you're still gonna be just like tired and like that next side like, push is just still gonna be affected by it. So doing your best to kind of recover yourself through. So it's gonna be a little bit more, more of like an experimental type of training bout as opposed to a uh, complete energy development system. So this could be a, a good thing to do within like some race specific areas or like a secondary workout for the day or um, some offseason stuff like figuring out where that line is for you and then just like accepting that that's it (laughs) like that's where you stay that's where you have to be going beyond that is detrimental for your results and it's just ego driven trying to get your time down on the finishing results and trying to stay up with competitors that um, you shouldn't and that's the other thing too right like I was like, oh, this person beat me by the sled push. Chances are they're going to beat you on every other station um, because they're more fit than you, right? So like, it's not because they push the sled better than you. It's just because they can do all the high rock stuff better than you. They're just better at you currently than high rocks. The sled push itself and what that means for you as an athlete is very little. It's very little. So doing your best to manage that effort, manage your ego, manage your race tactics, is ultimately going to put you in the best place to finish the race at your optimal time and place for that specific race because you nailed your pacing, you understood, you gained momentum, and that's a huge thing in this race. We saw this with David Megita, who is very much a momentum athlete. In Maastricht, he pushed it really hard and like came off and – was more surviving, right? Got to sled pull and was surviving. Wasn't like thriving. He came off the sled push and was feeling good. He could run past people. He could come, Everybody was going backwards or he was going forwards. And immediately that's an indicator like, okay, I might be doing well today. <laughs> I might be feeling good today. And in high rocks, that is probably as important as your fitness. Is just like feeling like the day is going well versus like trying to push yourself Versus like trying to hang on for dear life and just be like, I hope my fitness can take care of this. Really hard way to run this race. And more often than not, it's gonna be like, all right, let's try to recover, let's try to recover, let's try to recover, as opposed to like, let's attack, let's attack, let's attack, or let's manage, or like, if I stay within this specific range of effort, I'll be able to maintain this effort. And that is really the key to running your best high rocks, is managing that effort early feeling like things are going well. And then if things are going well, the next station is probably going to go well. If Things are going poorly. The next station is probably going to go poorly. And that's why we see really bad lunges, really bad wall balls. Cause when you're in survival mode, you're just like, I keep, like, it's already going poorly. I'm already done. Let's just wrap this thing up. And like, I'm not going to meet my goals because I feel, I felt terrible since burpee broad jumps. And now I'm at lunges. Like I'm just going to like rest more than I really should. But if you ever, if you're on a good one, you're like, I've gotten this far into this race. This is the like seven station of eight. I'm gonna suck it up and I'm gonna keep going. So seeing McGee to come into those wall balls with the lead it's like, he's not gonna fall apart here. No way. <laughs> like he's coming forward. You could do all of these stations if you really wanted to. If you really wanted to keep going. If you had that drive and the fitness, obviously. But if you had that drive, you could always just like keep doing them. There's not that much skill. There's not. They're not that heavy. Like if you're in a good place by lunges and wall balls, you can keep going, but usually if you're not in a good place, that's where things get kind of gnarly. All right. So that is what we got. That's my baked take pie take. So let me know what you think. Uh, Shoot me notes. Uh, Let me know what you're thinking of these again, of these shorter forms uh, pieces. If if that's something that is helpful. I, I think I have something else for you down the road. I had some, uh, something recorded about treadmill running and the uses of that. But this was something that was on my mind, especially after just watching that event. So that'll do. Talk to you soon.